3: And even... Checkout's not until 4, so...
1: Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day.
3: Welcome to an Outkick to Coverage, the Labor Day edition. I said we're going to have the misery index here. The teams that were so excited for the college football season to start and then basically the season already fell apart for them. And uh, there are a lot of those teams out there. I'll find out who Danny G thinks should be on the misery index. But I think you got to start with Tennessee. Number one on the fan misery index is the panic meter is off the charts at the University of Tennessee. Now look. It's tough any time you lose as a 26-point home favorite. But I really wasn't paying a lot of attention to this game. Again, I went to go watch the Vanderbilt-Georgia game. And by the way, Georgia fans came into Nashville, my hometown, and completely painted the city red. I've never seen Georgia fans travel like this before. There is amazing enthusiasm and excitement surrounding Kirby Smart's program right now. And as a result, I mean, Georgia fans, if you watched any of that game, against Vanderbilt completely bought out Vanderbilt's home football stadium that's why tickets were 250 300 at minimum to get in stadium only seats around 40,000 uh, at, at Vanderbilt but there were tens of thousands of Georgia fans who came into town and had absolutely no idea that they were going to go to the game and they just filled up every bar every restaurant Every place, all over the city of Nashville, our place downtown Sporting Club, which is on 411 Broadway, if you're ever downtown in Nashville, I'm a part owner of that bar. We're swarmed, swarmed the entire weekend with Georgia fans. I, after I uh, the Vanderbilt Georgia game, I went down uh, to our bar and walked through, and the entire place was full of Georgia fans it was wild how many people were there just I mean an insane collection of people who had no interest or no expectation that they would be able to go to a uh, to game at all and just wanted to come into Nashville and have an incredible time celebrating a Georgia win so I was at the tailgate scene of Vanderbilt Georgia and so I ended up watching the end of the Tennessee game on uh, television there one of the tailgates and then uh, reacting uh, as soon as it was over But I don't think there's very many positives you can take away. I'm a big believer that ultimately who wins the offensive and defensive lines tends to tell you who's going to win the football game overall. Now, there's lots of attention on the quarterback. There's lots of attention on the wide receivers. There's lots of attention on the passing game. But over the course of college football in particular, ultimately, I think it's still a line of scrimmage a league. And that's particularly the case at the higher levels of college football. Whoever runs for the most and whoever holds their opponents to the least amount of rushing yards usually ends up winning the football game. Now, there can be uh, extenuating circumstances. There can be wacky, unexpected outcomes, turnovers, things that you can't really project. But what I would be most troubled by if I'm a Tennessee fan and why I think they are at the top of the misery index right now is because when you actually look at the numbers, this doesn't look like sort of an outlier, unbelievable, I can't even figure out what happened here, upset. This looks like there were just a lot of people lining up on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball and that over the course of the game, Georgia State outperformed Tennessee. And I mean, here's the, the overall data for you. Georgia State was 2-10 a year ago. They ran the ball 53 times for 213 yards. Meanwhile, Tennessee ran the ball 31 times for 93 yards. Georgia State controlled the line of scrimmage. This wasn't some wild, aberrant, I can't believe this ended up happening result. It is Tennessee's not very strong on the offensive or defensive lines. And so as a result, Tennessee got what I think is probably the worst loss maybe in their program's history. I can't remember them losing by eight at home as a 26-point favorite any time in recent history. So Tennessee's at the top of the panic list, at the top of the misery index. Up next, I think you got to go Florida State. Florida State gave this game away. Part of the issue with all the hurricanes going on, they moved it from Jacksonville, which was set to be a quote-unquote neutral site game. They moved it to the Seminoles' home football stadium. Tallahassee. This is supposed to be, yeah, in Tallahassee. This is supposed to be... Willie Taggart's opportunity to atone for the disaster that befell the Florida State Seminoles in his first season. It's a new beginning, got a brand new offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles, everybody's ecstatic, and Florida State fell on its face. So, And it seems like a long time ago now, but some of you guys who are uh, long-term college football fans will remember that Tennessee and Florida State played for the national title all the way back in 1998. It feels like a lot more than 21 years ago now to even contemplate that these two programs, which were once so powerful and so respected, have fallen on their face a lot in the past several years. Certainly, Tennessee has been not good for much more time of late. I mean, uh, Florida State just won a championship with Jameis Winston a few years ago, but it's been a gradual slide ever since they lost in the first, pre-season, uh, first uh, playoff game to uh, Oregon. So I've got Tennessee 1, I got Florida State 2, third spot i got UCLA. Look, I know that Chip Kelly is supposed to be the savior of the UCLA Bruin program, but he's 3-10 right now through 13 games. And we talked some about this on Friday's show, but now that we've got kind of the totality of the uh, college football landscape complete, I don't know how UCLA fans are anything other than terrified of what the future of their program looks like based on how poorly they played against Cincinnati. Uh, then I've got Purdue, 56-yard field goal from a freshman who then got a scholarship immediately after the game. It was a fantastic win if you're a Nevada fan. If you are a Purdue fan, you're trying to figure out how in the world you gave away this game. And as a result, I think you got to be a little bit nervous about the Big Ten. In particular, I think the Big Ten is wide open. And I know there are a lot of people out there who believe, oh, it's Michigan's year, oh, it's Ohio State's year. I think this is going to be a year where there are a lot of good teams. Michigan State's defense looked great against Tulsa, and Penn State's offense hung 79. I know it was Idaho. It's still 79 points and 700 yards of offense. Still pretty hard to do against anybody. It's hard to do against air almost. And so to pull off that win like they did, I think the Big Ten, I'm not sure there's a great team. I think there's a lot of really good teams, and – Nebraska got a win, by the way. It's Scott Frost, although it wasn't that impressive of a win. Uh, I thought Wisconsin looked pretty doggone good. There are a lot of teams that if they put everything together, Iowa, um, then maybe things can break in a really positive direction there. But this is going to be an intriguing storyline to follow all year is what exactly happens in the Big Ten. Why would I put Purdue on the nervous list here with Jeff Brom? I would make put him on the nervous list because I think the Big Ten is going to be much improved and maybe it's just going on the road certainly going on the road in college football is always fraught with peril you never know exactly what's going to happen but I would be a little bit nervous I think if I'm a Purdue fan based on the way the Nevada game went and also how good the rest of the Big Ten has looked Uh, South Carolina Mack Brown got a win as the head football coach of North Carolina for the first time since, I believe, 19... i got I got to look this up because I put it in my, uh, my column. First time that he has won a game as a coach of uh, UNC since all the way back in, let's see, 1997. And it was his first win at all since he was let go by Texas in 2013. It's a great video of him dancing along, but this is a bad loss for South Carolina and Will Muschamp. You're a double-digit favorite. You can't have this game go the way it did and then uh last I've got Missouri Missouri was up 14 to nothing on the road against Wyoming and then Wyoming just caught fire they ran for almost 300 yards Wyoming did huge win to knock off an SEC opponent big surprise again not just because Missouri was an 18 point favorite but also because Missouri came out and got up 14 to nothing early And then the wheels came off and Wyoming ended up running (laughs) for nearly 300 yards. Now, they won, but I'll give you an honorable mention here as well. And that honorable mention goes to uh, USC with the JT Daniels injury. JT Daniels reportedly out for the season with a knee injury that he suffered. They weren't very good against Eddie Garcia's team and uh, the the Fresno State Bulldogs. Eddie's out right now, so we're not going to get an update from him. But that was an ugly, ugly performance. Okay, I just ran through the misery index there, Danny G. Were there any teams that you thought deserved to be there higher or should be rated at all? I mean, it's it's a pretty rough list. A lot of these fan bases already prepared for the season to be done. Tennessee, Florida State, UCLA, Purdue, South Carolina, Missouri is my six in order with Tennessee at the top of the panic meter.
5: Yeah, I guess I might put South Carolina a little higher on the list i mean north carolina was two and nine last season yeah they had to rally there but still did not see that one coming also i watched old miss fall to memphis
3: yeah and i know you could make an argument that old miss should be on my list too
5: yeah i mean they would be down towards the bottom Uh, the rest of the list is pretty solid i mean missouri at six kelly bryant was supposed to make missouri a contender but yet it looked like the defense there is the problem so Kelly Bryant can't play defense
3: yeah no that was not uh, that was not ideal um, by the way uh, this is the first time since 1997 uh, we talked about 97 I think was the last time Mac Brown won a game at North Carolina first time since 97 that three SEC double-digit favor it's Tennessee Missouri and South Carolina all lost on the same day so this just doesn't happen very often and by the way I know probably getting some feedback already uh, if I check my mentions we said Florida State should be panicked also you got to give credit to the teams that won Georgia State getting the win over Tennessee how about Boise State just continuing to get wins this is a tweet from uh, Matt Brown that I saw out there power conference programs Boise State has beaten since 2006 Oklahoma that was the uh, the famous behind the back you know kind of uh, uh, win where the guy immediately proposed to his girlfriend. You remember that game on yep. the, the field? I think that was a Fiesta Bowl all the way back in like 2006. So Oklahoma uh, gets the uh, gets the W. Oregon has been beaten three times by Boise State uh, since 2006. Virginia Tech, Georgia, Arizona State, Washington twice, Arizona, Virginia, Wazoo, Washington State. Oregon State three times and now Florida State that's a pretty impressive collection of wins for a school like Boise State which was not very well known forever uh, until uh, they finally took off under Chris Peterson uh, and uh, but man that is a, that is an incredible series of accomplishments
5: and there's a couple of tweets there a uh, pushback on you for saying that was Tennessee's worst loss this tweet says Guys, what about that Memphis loss in 96? To me, that will always be the worst. And then yeah. an o- another tweet saying Wyoming in 2008.
3: Yeah, so um, I, I think that uh, – so th- this is the way I think, right? Like I am a Tennessee fan. I'm born and raised a Tennessee fan. My grandfather played for General Neyland at uh, at Tennessee back in the 1930s. So, uh, you know, I literally it's in my blood in some level, all right? So the way I think about it is I was far more troubled – by or bothered by the loss in the Sweet 16 basketball to Purdue because that was a team that I thought was good enough to contend for a championship and could go to the Final Four for the first time in school history. They would have been in the Elite Eight. Uh, remember it the way if you don't remember how that Sweet 16 game ended, uh, Purdue was going for a three, missed the shot, Carson Edwards did, but Tennessee had a player run into uh, the shooter, three free throws, game goes to overtime, Purdue finds a way to win. And then, unfortunately for Purdue, they were poised to go to the Final Four when Virginia stole an improbable win uh, in overtime against them in the next game. And Virginia obviously goes on and wins the uh, the championship after another improbable win over uh, over Auburn. But to me, the losses that hurt the most are the ones where you think your team has a chance to win a championship. The, when you know the team's gonna be mediocre, like yeah, I understand Tennessee fans are upset right now and the people up in arms over Jeremy Pruitt and everything else, and I've got them number one on the fan panic meter right now on the misery index. But ultimately, the best case scenario, this was probably an eight and four team. Now it might be a six and six or a five and seven team. The reality is I don't think there's that much difference between going seven and five and going six and six. And so the expectations paradoxically for me, are tougher when the team is really, really good and you're hoping for a championship than it is when you're mediocre. Does that make sense? Like, do you buy into that?
5: Yeah, I do. That totally makes sense. And I know we got to wrap here really quick, but I definitely wanted to get your input on Hugh Freeze because I thought that was the best thing of the entire weekend.
3: It was crazy. He coached from a hospital bed. Uh, We'll talk about that when we come back. A couple of the other wacky uh, outcomes of the week that was in college football. And uh, just so you know, in hour two, we'll talk with Jim Dunaway, who is a local uh, radio host and also television host in the city of Birmingham. Ask him about what he thought about Alabama's performance against Duke and also Auburn's big win over Oregon. That's still to come in hour two. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio.
4: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
2: TireRack.com slash sports. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
3: Second hour, I'll kick the coverage, Labor Day edition. Hope all of you are having a fantastic end to your holiday weekend. If you're on the road driving somewhere, uh, or if you're going to work, be safe. And uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us. I am here alongside Danny G, Roberto, two of our normal uh, show cast members here on vacation. Dub, who is down in Dallas, still drunk, perhaps celebrating the Auburn win over Oregon. And Eddie Garcia, nobody knows where he is, but he has vanished. And uh, we have another update guy in. We don't know how he'll do, but he can't do worse than what Eddie has been doing over the past couple of months. So maybe Eddie will return on Tuesday and have uh, emerged from the slump that he has been in for some time. Uh, We are hanging out here. We just kind of ran through all the universe of college football. Still want to talk about Hugh Freeze and also the USC and UCLA Challenge. In their marketplace which i think is a larger scale kind of discussion uh to be quite honest um in terms of what we learned outside of what i thought was the biggest game uh between oregon and auburn and we kind of ran through the entire impact of hour one but essentially the sixth best team in the SEC. While everybody out there is focusing on Ole Miss and the fact that they weren't very good, In fact Missouri wasn't very good, Tennessee certainly wasn't very good, and, uh, and, and South Carolina, all four of those teams lost. A great stat for you out there. First time three double-digit SEC favorites have lost in the same weekend since 1997, which is an incredible stat. I saw Scott Van Pelt with that uh, on SportsCenter. But the big takeaway is, there are likely in the new AP poll to be six roughly of the top 12 teams in college football, all still from the SEC, and all six of the best teams right now won. And that's really the part that I think has got to be particularly grating, and we'll talk with uh, Jeff Schwartz about this later. Uh, And up next, honestly, we're going to be joined by Jim Dunaway to give us the Alabama and Auburn perspective on how the opening weekend in college football went. But I think the thing that's most grating from an Oregon perspective is you're on a neutral field against a team in Auburn that is the sixth best team in the preseason polls in the SEC. They are starting a freshman quarterback. A true freshman quarterback is starting at Auburn for the first time since 1946, and you still can't find out a way to win. And as a result, the Pac-12's chances of actually making the bowl are uh, the, the the playoff and being in the real contention as one of the final four teams are significantly hit because even if Oregon goes 12-1 and now, they're not going to be able to leapfrog whoever wins the sec and and certainly the best thing that could happen for oregon is that auburn is underrated and they end up contending for a championship but this hurts the entire conference because uh oregon was the standard bearer right now although washington may be technically the favorite utah certainly as a member of the pac-12 south is not as strong as the pac-12 north is but all those things factor in in a big way Uh, uh justin fields Came out, and he was fantastic in terms of what we saw from Ohio State. Four touchdowns almost immediately, 28 points. Lane Kiffin's team, FAU, never really had a shot. Michigan was okay. Um, You know, Alabama did what Alabama does, and I thought Georgia kind of did the same among the teams that we anticipate uh, contending for championships. Oklahoma just okay. Okay. And uh, fine, fine as well. Like there, were, I didn't think that there was anybody that we thought is going to be contending for a championship that suddenly emerged, and they weren't good at all, right? So, uh, so it's early, but I would say the early read is not a lot of great deal of surprises, except for, by the way, Hugh Freeze, who was coaching from a hospital bed at Liberty as Syracuse traveled down to play against Liberty, and this was unbelievable awkwardly high comedy in terms of the way this thing went down I mean he was literally in a in a bed um like a hospital bed in the in the press box and he was looking out and he was coaching and I couldn't like I texted with Hugh Freeze on Saturday right before the you know earlier in the afternoon uh from the tailgate where I was for the Georgia Vanderbilt game and I just shot him a line because he's been on the show several times I said hey good luck I do that a lot if we've got coaches who come on the shows or if I have a relationship with a coach, you know, it's a big day for them. Just shoot them a line, say, hey, good luck or whatever. And he immediately texted back and he's like, hey, I'm going to be coaching from a hospital bed. Can you believe it? And I was like, well, that sounds crazy. But I didn't really know what it was going to look like <laughs> until I got away from the tailgate and was actually able to watch videos. And uh, and they were pretty wild. I mean, it was pretty crazy to, uh, to be able to actually see. And what did you see? What did you think when you saw this thing, Danny G.?
5: It looked like a Saturday Night Live skit.
3: It really did. Yes. I mean, he gave his pregame speech from like on Skype, I think. Yes, from a uh, from a hospital bed,
5: still recovering from back surgery from a herniated disc,
3: which was dangerous, by the way. It wasn't just back surgery; it was that like there had been some sort of infection yes. associated with he it.
5: He had a staff infection,
3: so I mean, this could have been in, in incredibly dangerous in and of itself if he hadn't they hadn't caught it and they hadn't had had to have the surgery, and certainly. You know, uh, Hugh Freeze has been great on this show. And we wish him the best, but it w- it did look like a Saturday Night Live skit or something from Blue Mountain State. Uh, it, w- it was just kind of crazy.
5: The best part of the entire weekend was Coach pointing at him up in the box and them acknowledging each other. He yeah. walked off the field. I watched that video several times, and I laughed just as hard the third or fourth time as the first time I saw it. It was unbelievable. I mean, talk about being committed to your craft. This dude is unreal by laying in his hospital bed. And I can respect it. You remember a little over a year ago, I had to have that kidney surgery. And it yeah. tortured me to miss work because I had just taken you got over. got promoted. Yeah. yeah, I had just taken over Jason Martin's spot. I didn't want to let you down. I, I didn't want to let our boss, Scott Shapiro, down. So I came back to work faster than the doctor told me it was okay. And I literally was dragging my butt to the staff bathroom here urinating blood. And my doctor yelled at me. He's like, what are you doing? You got to stay in bed. But I can respect that because I'm the same way. I don't like being laid up sick. I'd rather be at work because it distracts you. And also, if you love what you do, you don't want to be away from it.
3: Well, I think that speaks to how much so many coaches love what they do, because I think there's a lot of people out there. I mean, look, we love what we do. It's why we're working on Labor Day when this is a holiday, right? I mean, this is a premiere slash Fox Sports Radio holiday. So we could not show up today, but this is the fourth year in a row uh, of this show in the morning. And before that, when I did local radio, I always come in on the Monday after college football kicks off because there's so many different storylines to discuss. Why would I want to miss those in any way? And uh, so this is just like an opportunity to come in and get to talk about all the games that took place. And so we never take off uh, Labor Day, but... I also understand some people have jobs that they hate. And if you hate your job, every little thing, like I got a little bit of a cold or uh, I've got, uh, you know, the weather is not ideal to drive in, whatever yeah. you like. You'll find any excuse under the sun to not be
5: there. Right? Oh, was that a shot at J. opaque? Might have been a shot at Jason.
3: Opaque gate. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, look, I mean, there are lots of people out there who uh, who will take any opportunity to not do it but the balancing line i've had this conversation with petros before the balancing line i think is understanding that it's not like he's like one of the things you fall into with radio is it's it's radio is unlike television in that television you're part of most of the time you're part of an ensemble cast for instance when i do lock it in um i'm I'm not reading off the prompter. Rachel Bonetta is hosting the show. I'm just one of four people that's on the television show, and there are lots of other different moving parts. Radio uniquely, people tune in to hear your voice, right? My voice, your voice, like people who are on the show. The show exists only because of us. If I left to lock it in, that show would continue forever, I think, because it's a very successful show. It's been well put together by Charlie Dixon and the Fox Sports Radio universe, with Album, Therese, everybody who put that show together, it's going to go on for years and years and years, whether I'm there or not. Outkick the coverage as this show exists would not exist at all without us. And so when to have the conversation with Petros, like it's a balancing act between realizing that the reason why the show exists is because of you, but also realizing that you can't just do the show, right? Like you can't allow it to so consume you that that's all you think about. And I think that's a big thing with coaches too, because they are so plugged in and there's so many details and they're so intimately involved in all of it that in some way they are afraid that if you're not they're not there everything's just going to spin out of control and it's not going to work anymore but the speech and the video, and the, uh, if you haven't seen those, I mean, it's pretty, you need, if you want to get a laugh, and again, we want him to be healthy, and I think he would also acknowledge that it, it's hard to see that, and not think that it's just totally really funny, it seems like an SNL skit, um, but I think it speaks to how much he wants to coach, and how excited he is about the Liberty opportunity, and also how uh, gratified he was to get back into coaching after going kind of through the coaching wilderness, uh, after being fired from Ole Miss, so I think that's kind of the, the, the storyline in general. But if you haven't seen these videos, they're up on OutKick as a part of my starting 11, uh, which I think uh, you guys will be able to uh, to be entertained by.
5: Now, can we please get a coach here in Southern California that would do that same thing for UCLA and USC?
3: Uh, do we need to talk about that yeah. after Dunaway? Should I save that for uh, the end of hour two? Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with Jim Dunaway. He is at 94.5 Jocks down in Birmingham. Uh, which is a big radio station there. He covers Alabama. He covers Auburn. I wanted to get a different guest, right? A guy who can come on and tell us about the Auburn perspective on what I thought was the biggest game of the weekend. And then in hour three, we'll have Jeff Schwartz on. He usually comes on with us Wednesday. But you guys know he's a huge Oregon fan, played at Oregon, uh, former NFL offensive lineman. We'll see what he thought about the way that game went down. We'll hear both the Auburn perspective and the uh, perspective of Oregon that's still to come so we'll have Dunaway up next and then at the close of hour two right as we head into hour three I'll talk to you a little bit about something I was contemplating as I watched the USC game against Fresno State and uh, and thought about what the future of the LA football marketplace might be for both SC and for UCLA that's still to come appreciate you hanging out with us up next it's Jim Dunaway this is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio this is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis. Hope all of you are having fantastic Labor Days wherever you may be across this great land. We are working, as we always do on Labor Day, to break down everything that happened in the college football weekend that was Biggest game, you heard us talking about it already, and uh, certainly it's one that we're going to continue to unpack because I think it has the most significance going forward. What happened with Auburn and what happened with Oregon? We've got our guy down in Birmingham, Alabama, Jim Dunaway. You can hear him at 94.5 Jocks in Birmingham. You can also watch him uh, on television. He regularly uh, appears and has been for a long time on uh, Birmingham area television and, Jim, every year I'm blown away by how much the city of Birmingham loves college football, but it's like every year it gets more popular. I mean, the, the number of viewers for both the Alabama game against Duke and the Auburn game against Oregon were off the charts. Uh, what did you take away from those uh, those games, and would you agree that Birmingham, for sports, may love college football more than any city in America loves any sport?
0: Well, the town shut down, and it timed out perfectly back-to-back on the same network, not uh, competing with each other uh, right there on ABC. So it worked out perfectly for Alabama and Auburn fans to uh, cheer against or cheer for their favorite teams and against their big rival yesterday, and that always makes for high ratings. And You know, you had the biggest marquee game in the country, Oregon and Auburn, so that's going to draw viewers from around the country Especially in our state, and they went down to the wire. So, yeah, it was a big rating boom and a big way to kick off the season on Saturday night. So, when you look at this, let's start with Auburn,
3: Oregon, which was the biggest game of the weekend in terms of having two teams that at least have some sort of national title aspirations, even if Auburn, at 16th in the country preseason, is the sixth highest rated team in the SEC. They're kind of an uncertain team, right? Whereas Justin Herbert's probably going to be a top-ten pick. At least that would be the expectation right now if he goes into the NFL draft at the end of this season. Uh, We'll see how this year goes for him to confirm that. But then you have Bo Nix, who nobody really knows very much about, and it's a neutral side game, and Oregon seemed like they had control of it. What happened in your mind to let Auburn get in position to win?
0: Well, Auburn's defense started playing better. They're down 21-6 at 9.39 to go in the third quarter, and it looks like Oregon's going to sell and win this football game and get an impressive win for the Pac-12. But Bo Nix, who is the freshman quarterback, true freshman quarterback, the parts that were supposed to help him win the game were not helping him win the game. The defense was getting blitzed by Oregon. That was supposed to be a top-five defense in the country. And the offensive line, which is senior to senior, tackle to tackle, not they're all seniors. They've been playing together a long time. They were giving Bo Nix no time to do anything the entire game. So the two big units that were supposed to help this true freshman quarterback were failing him. And then all of a sudden the defense started playing better. And then the line gave him just a little bit of time, and you saw the built-in DNA of a winner that Bo Nix brought out of high school where he was a two-time state champion. And in the end, he made the plays that Justin Herbert couldn't make, and that's how Auburn won the game.
3: What do you think about the decision to throw into the end zone? With Gus on, you know, nine seconds left is when Auburn crosses that goal line, but they have no timeouts left. They snap the ball with a true freshman quarterback back there. Theoretically, if he gets sacked or even they complete a pass that's short of the first down marker, they may have trouble getting up everybody to the line and getting that ball spiked again. I know a lot of people don't think about it because of the way the game ended, but do you like that decision or did you like the idea of waiting, just letting Anders Carlson attempt a 43 or 44 yard field goal to win the game?
0: Well, you never like to put it in a college kicker's hands. There's nothing automatic from 40-plus, right? But in that situation, it took me right back to Les Miles playing Auburn in Baton Rouge a few years ago
3: Yep, when Miles exactly was the right. coach
0: there, and I thought he was going to run it and kick it and end the game with a, on, on about a 40-yard field goal. And he threw it in the end zone and beat Auburn that way. It's exactly what that reminded me of last night, and it worked. But if he gets tackled, you know, he threw it back shoulder. If he gets tackled on the two – Auburn loses the football game, and you left a, a chance at the field goal on the board. Uh, but, uh, you know, it worked, and it will go down as maybe one of the greatest plays of the season. But it took me right back to Les Miles, and he's not always known for the best best decision.
3: What's interesting is, remember a few years ago, and they all run together because I enjoy watching them so much, but we had a loser leaves town game when I believe right. LSU came into Jordan-Hare in uh, Auburn. And Les almost did it again, right? They threw into the back of the end zone and I believe they went to instant replay review and the, the pass was just a little bit late, right? Like he didn't get his foot in or they didn't get the snap off in time, right? Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, uh, they didn't get the snap off That's in what time. it was. The clock went yes. zero before and the play went on. They reviewed it. It went zero before the snap and that was Les Miles' last they game. They fired and, him. Yeah, they fired him before the next game and, and many people thought it would have happened to Gus Malzahn if that play had counted because he got the foot down and it was looked like a game-winning touchdown for LSU, just they didn't have time.
3: What, uh, so what do you take away from this game from an Auburn perspective? Uh, you said that you, did, you thought the defensive line maybe would be a little bit better earlier. The offensive line didn't play great. Auburn finds a way to win. And if you are waking up here on this Labor Day morning and you're looking ahead as an Auburn fan, what do you think your thought
0: process is? Well, I, I take three things away from this game. First and foremost, boy, the SEC needed it yeah. because it had been a horrible Saturday. And to lose the marquee matchup of the day would have just been the cherry on top of what had been a bad Saturday from what was supposed to be a premier conference. Two for Auburn, it was the only battle of top 25 teams, and you win that. And now you've got a couple of games to get your freshman quarterback rolling and things more cohesive as you move forward. And keep in mind, it was the first game back for Gus Malzahn calling plays. And with all due respect to the guys he has on his coaching staff, There's a lot of former Auburn players and Kenny Dillingham from Memphis. It's not the most experienced coaching staff, so they had to shake out some bugs on that coaching staff as well. So that's a plus that they got the win, and they did it in the way they did it. And I do think you can build momentum, Clay, off of what Auburn did Saturday night because they were never in control of that game uh, until they won it at the end. They had zero leads. It was an uphill battle all night long for Auburn. And many times you could have packed it in and said, man, that's it. We're not going to win this game tonight. But they fought, and they won at the end, and that becomes contagious. And Auburn teams seem to be the most threatening when they're sort of under the radar, and that's where this team is entering the season. And now they've got the biggest win in the country after Saturday night.
3: What do you feel like if you're Oregon?
0: Oh, boy, I missed an opportunity. Uh, 21-6. to and we have been more physical than the SEC team. We've been faster than the SEC team, and it was going to be a marquee win for Mario Cristobal and one the Pac-12 needed. And now for Oregon, it looks like Washington with Jacob Eason looks good, and uh, we we may miss an opportunity to take a first-round or second-round quarterback and do something special with him. They've got to pick up the pieces, and I think they'll look at that tape uh, later today on this Monday afternoon and say to themselves, um, we missed an opportunity maybe to have a special year and be a playoff contender.
3: Now, what do you think? So we, we talked about Auburn. We're talking to Jim Dunaway, 94-5 jocks down in Birmingham. He also is on, uh, has been over the years, a lot of television, local television there as well. So, uh, Jim, what do you think about Bama? All right, Bama goes out and they kind of get a workman-like 42-3 win start a little bit slow, but then Tua kind of comes into his own. The wide-receiving core at Alabama, I think, is deeper and better than it's ever been in the history of the program. I could be wrong, but I can't remember there ever being this many proven wide receivers. But they didn't really dominate on the lines of scrimmage. They didn't run the ball consistently well, uh, and Duke kind of stayed around. It wasn't like this was just an onslaught and a total beatdown. What do you take away from the Bama performance?
0: Uh, To me, Clay, it's like the guy who divorces a supermodel, right? And you you look and you're like, my God, she's beautiful. She's got everything, and she likes sports. Why is this guy divorcing or cheating on her? And you know, he just he's used to that beautiful woman being in his house or that awesome person being in his house. Alabama fans looked at that game and they're like, that was sort of ho hum. That was sort of you know they looked sort of sluggish. It was forty-two to three. They covered. They dominated the second half, Tua threw four touchdown passes. He's 9 of 9 in the second quarter for 145 yards. The ball didn't touch the turf. Judy made plays. There were some long runs. Played three quarterbacks. There's nothing to feel bad about that game. But uh, Alabama fans were leaving the stadium on Saturday like, ah, oh, looked a little rusty, a little sluggish, yeah. because they're so used to Tua coming out and throwing a 50-yard touchdown and a 47-yard touchdown pass. Uh, in the first two drives and you if, you know you put Oklahoma down three touchdowns in the national semifinals. that's what they're used to and they were trying to get that bad taste out of their mouth from the national championship game and all of a sudden it's 0-0 after the first quarter with duke and it's 14-3 at the half with duke and everybody's looking around and saying what's going on and then they sort of you know gave their will pushed their will on a duke team that was gutsy but they ran out of gas and nick saban afterwards told me he said you can dominate people different ways, but usually when you're physically dominating the it shows in the fourth quarter, and that's what happened Saturday for Alabama fans. But you talk about a spoiled bunch. At Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Saturday, there were a lot of people walking away like, it was 42-3, to but that wasn't what I was expecting when I came over here to Atlanta.
3: 20 years ago, Florida State and Tennessee were both spoiled. Now that's not the case anymore. <laughs> uh, what do you think? We, we talked about kind of the panic uh, meter earlier in the show. Who do you think should be, like, who did you watch anything? boy, the, obviously Tennessee losing as a 26-point favorite, Florida State losing in year two, Willie Taggart, the opener that they seem to have control of, Purdue collapsed, big 56-yard field goal made for them to lose to Nevada, UCLA looked really bad against uh, Cincinnati, you got Ole Miss, you got South Carolina, you got Mizzou, all of those programs have a reason to be pretty nervous. Who did you look at and say, oh, my God, I feel – a little bit bad for this team, but, man, their fan base, they're done for this year.
0: Well, when, when Kendall Bryles in Florida State put up 31 points against the Boise State team that I thought and still think will be the group of five representative in the newer sixth Six Bowl game, I thought that was really impressive. Boise battles, great freshman quarterback, and they come back and win that game Saturday uh, in a game that was moved up earlier in the heat on the Florida State campus. Everything against Boise State, that was impressive by Boise. But Tennessee is alarming to me. Georgia State will not win the Sun Belt Conference. They may not even be in the top two places in the Sun Belt. The players at Tennessee are supposed to be better than Georgia State, and that Tennessee defense did not one thing that impressed me in that game against Georgia State. And I, I mean, you could have switched uniforms in that game, and I couldn't have tell couldn't have told you yeah. different talent level. I mean, Tennessee's talent looked like Georgia State's talent. And that's not the best in the Sun Belt. That's what was alarming to me because I thought this was going to be an eight-win type Tennessee team, and if they're going to get there, a lot has to change.
3: Yeah, there's no doubt at all about that. Um, as we look ahead a little bit, LSU-Texas, right? Um, as big of an out-of-conference game as I can remember in a while, right, especially to have two premier programs that kind of border each other right there and don't really ever play. But historically, there's been a lot of con- uh, you know contention, and discord between Texas and LSU programs. How excited are you for that one?
0: I'm really excited because the first week went perfect for their two teams, and especially their quarterback. Sam Ellinger looked great for Texas against LaTex, and then Joe Burrow with that new offensive wrinkle with some of the New Orleans Saints playbook, spreading it out, some really short, um, intricate passing uh, parts of their game. They really were spot on and, and dotted the I's and connected and crossed the T's. And there went over Georgia's Southern dominating performance. It could not have gone better for both those teams. And in games they were supposed to win but didn't struggle at all with them. So that will be an awesome matchup. And I can't wait to see what LSU does with their new look offense, what people have been waiting on for a decade. And finally it looks like in a big game they're going to throw the ball around the yard and let their athletes be athletes. And if I'm an LSU fan, that excites me.
3: Outstanding stuff, as always. Jim Dunaway, 94.5 Jocks down in Birmingham. Look forward to seeing you again sometime soon, I'm sure, on the road this college football season. Thanks for coming on with us uh, early this morning on Labor Day. No problem, Clay. Thank you. That is Jim Dunaway. I am Clay Travis. Uh, When we come back, we'll dive back into the universe of college football, talk about what we learned in the opening weekend. Hope you're having a great Labor Day. This is OutKick on Fox Sports Radio.
2: trust of 40 percent repeat customers they give you the tools you need to save and grow your money with reliable returns and take charge of your financial future it's a better way to invest because it's investing your way so change the game get started today with as little as a thousand dollars at gamebridge.io
6: hey guys it's Matt Jones drew Franklin from the fade this podcast we got a great episode coming up picks in all the sports football basketball we do them all but here's a preview of this week's episode nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds are you know who's really good, Creighton, you don't watch Creighton.
2: com sports tirerackcom the way tire buying should be.
3: Geico Outkick Studios Labor Day Edition. We are going to be joined by Jeff Schwartz right off the top here of hour three. Hang with him for a little while as uh, we take you through the world of sports and beyond. With him diving into college football, which uh, the opening weekend is obviously paramount right now. We'll be talking a lot about the NFL later in the week, but right now we're reacting to what happened over the course of the weekend hope all of you are having a fantastic Labor Day. I'm Clay Travis. We are hanging out uh, here with you as we do on every single Labor Day because college football opening weekend is always Labor Day. And we're joined now by Jeff Schwartz, who usually comes on Wednesday, but I wanted to have you on this week in a, uh, in, on a Monday because Oregon had such a big game against Auburn and because they came just so achingly close to winning the game. Now here, I want to give you, like, contextualize this. So, Auburn is starting a true freshman quarterback for the first time since 1946. You're playing them in a neutral field. And Auburn, while they're pretty good, I mean, they're the sixth best team in the SEC according to the preseason polls. Oregon is the best in the Pac-12. So while Auburn is good, they're really closer to middle of the SEC than they are almost to the top of the SEC, to be sure. This seems like with Justin Herbert, a top 10 quarterback set up, to be about as good of an opportunity for Oregon to get a signature out a conference win to begin a season as they could have. And it looked like until about halfway through the third quarter it was definitely going to happen. And then, boom, the 21-6 lead is gone. What did you feel like watching it?
1: Well, to, to your first comment, Oregon's the highest-ranked team, but everyone picked Utah. So did I. I picked Utah to win the conference. Um, so while Oregon is the most talented team um, they still are transitioning under Mario Cristobal to a uh, new defense. Look, I follow Oregon football since two thousand three. It's the year they that, that, that they first started to recruit me. I was a UCLA fan as a kid, so I didn't really pay attention to Oregon. Like obviously, I have since then. This is by far. I'm not kidding when I say this. By far, the most prepared our defense has ever looked in any game. Like Andy Alvalos came from Boise State. It was first his first games as a D coordinator. Um, we were not fooled. It all on anything. All ran reverses. They ran jet sweeps. They ran trick plays. Zero. We were fooled on zero things. Um, so our defense, and we got home with four rushers, which we never do. We we always drop eight on third down. Like I was so impressed by our defense. I know we wore it down at the end. It's going to happen. Our defense was undersized. It's pretty easy to see that. Um, as far as the other stuff that happened in the game, look, it's easy to say we should have been up twenty-eight to three. I mean, look, we we we'll draw a pass in a touchdown, it wasn't even like a hit the guy in the middle of the chest. Like it should have been a touchdown, and we missed a field goal, and then we fumbled the ball in the 11. Now, Auburn also had opportunities in the red zone in that game, too, that really didn't pan out. So it's tough because, you know, when you look at the Pac-12 and some of these big games they've been in over the last five or six years, uh, you know, the issue has always been – that we physically can't compete with an SEC defense, first of all, uh, and then you know, obviously, on on the other side of the ball, just our defense is trying to compete with with, with their offense. Whether it's in, you know, I, I put Ohio State in this mix, uh, put you know, Wisconsin and, and LSU, who we have played, and um, and, you know, some of these other big dog programs. But this was a game where we did do that. We did compete in the trenches in the first half. Our offensive line mold auburn um and and they're the best defensive line in the country like we actually came out and were physically dominant to an sec team like it was fantastic and then it just fell apart in the second half as as they realized and we realized defensively as well against bo nicks that neither team had had a vertical threat our top four wide receiving targets three wide receivers And one tight end did not play in this game, as well as a fifth uh, was also injured. So we just had no vertical threat. Darnellowski tweeted out that he only saw two times um, at you know for drop back or play action pass, which wasn't a big part of the game plan where guys were open. Two wide receivers all game, like we had no one to throw to. So um, that all being said, we still should have (laughs) won. Like it was, it just was rough, man. So uh, I was depressed Saturday night. Didn't go to bed till really late Sunday. Yesterday, just really had to kind of work through it a little bit and uh look we still have a long season left i like where the program is going i think that you know offensively there might need to be a change at some point um play call or, or whatever but mario cristobal has got the guy stronger bigger faster and we're moving in the right direction so i'll take it
3: all right so i want to go into a strategic decision first of all you played on the offensive line at oregon and also in the nfl as I'm watching yeah. this game, and you guys have the lead, you guys meaning Oregon, it doesn't seem to me like you're milking the clock as much as you could have or should should have. You've been in those uh, those you know huddles. Is there much yeah. discussion about that? Were you surprised at where Oregon was snapping the ball in midway to late in the fourth quarter?
1: Uh, oh. You know, yeah we 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 would discuss that I think. I mean, they just knew what the situation was. I don't remember in a quarterback having to say, "Hey guys, we're going to milk the clock here." our coach doing that, I and mean, this is where some of the, you know, the headset, the walkie-talkie communication in the NFL really helps because you're able to, to tell your quarterback, hey, you know.
3: Take your time. Let,
1: you know, let, let's move this all the way down. In college, you know, you get you, you set the line of screamers, You go through your normal function. It's late in the game. You forget to check the play clock. You know, we have our look. We're going a little faster because that's what our tempo is, and boom, you snap the ball without realizing. I mean, it happens all the time. It's not just an organ problem. It right. happens. In almost every single game. I think that's why, is because you have so many moving parts in college. You, you don't have the walkie talkie headsets, and guys just panic a little bit. They're young kids. Um, and yeah, look, our, our timeout situation wasn't handled at all properly, but I do think that there is some thought to it. I mean, they, they, they took a timeout on fourth and one, I um, said, during a delayed game, um, but I think that was to let the defense rest because they were exhausted. I think mean, we needed just a, a minute or two to give them some more rest. You know, we blew a timeout there um, you know, in, in the fourth and one because we had a backup quarterback in, in, this, you know, in the game um, uh, on a fourth down and one. So, look, we, we had some errors. I, I won't say that it's you know, Mario Cristobal's without fault, but I haven't seen us prepared that well in a long time.
3: All right, so I, I, I know Auburn won, and when you win, a lot of times people don't pay attention to the decisions that you made along the way. And in particular, I'm curious what you think. When Auburn got over the ball after their last first down before the touchdown pass, they had a nice, like, kind of crossing route, get out of bounds. Clocks completely stopped, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. Uh, it and, yeah and so they have plenty of time there to make a decision. Like, they could theoretically hand off and run the ball and then let the clock run down, get over it, you know, like, go ahead and uh, ground it so that the final play of the game is the field goal attempt. Instead, Auburn drops back to pass, which is risky when you've got no timeouts and you got a rookie quarterback because, my God, you get him sacked. Maybe you don't even get another playoff, right? Like You've seen that happen a you lot, not. especially in college, right? So yeah. did you think when they drop back to pass, what are they doing? And then Malzahn just takes a shot down the end zone. And obviously, if you're a gambler, not only then did Auburn win, but they kind of <laughs> got a miraculous cover. Uh, but when you were watching that, were you thinking like this is not – the reason why I bring it up is – A lot of times we focus on results more than we focus on the process by which the results happen. And it's funny because Nick Saban has gotten famous at a time because he would talk about the process. And what he meant by that is you make the right decisions and eventually you get the results that make sense. Now sometimes, and this happens, uh, sometimes you can end up with a result you're happy with, but the way you got there is illogical and doesn't really make sense. And I think that was the decision that Gus Malzahn made to throw into the end zone there. I think that was a bad coaching decision that actually panned out.
1: It's so funny how you, you, know, how you said it. After the game, you know, it was, well, Justin Herbert's no good and, and he didn't make the big play to end the game. And you know, the, everyone's complaining about the Hail Mary they threw too long. And they're like, well, Bo Nix made a play. That was a terrible throw. That was <laughs> a bad throw. Bo Nix was 13 of 31 during yeah. the game. He didn't play a good game, but he made the last play. And the ball was severely underthrown. Now, look, I I don't – sometimes I don't know – Especially in college, because I said you don't have the the, the walkie talkies in there. Um, I don't know sometimes if there's an actual thought process to like, hey, this is the play where we throw it up to our big wide receiver, or whether or not you know Bo nix knew the situation and he knew that if they were throwing the ball, this is why they were throwing the ball. But yeah, the ball was he threw the ball in the field of play. Yeah, if that is if he's tackled at the two yard line, um, there's a distinct possibility that. They don't get a snap off. Now the, clock would, have, yeah, the clock would have
3: Yeah, the clock would have stopped in college yeah. for the resetting of the chains, but that's why to me the danger was more so even than the throw. First of all, I could get picked, right? I mean, and the game's over and you don't get a field goal chance to win. Yeah, the
1: way he's the way, the, way they've been, yeah, the way he was thrown, yeah. Yeah, and, um, but also when right, the, you drop the, back the
3: to Yeah, but also when you drop back to pass, if you get tackled there, then that's where I think there's probably a decent chance cuz you got receivers running routes down the yeah. field there's probably a pretty good chance you don't get everybody lined up and aren't able to snap the ball and get, you know, lined up for a field goal. The reason why I bring that up is Anders Carlson the kicker for uh for Auburn's a very good kicker and after they made the nice throw and got out of bounds they were at the 26 so you're talking about a 43 44 yard field goal and that seems to me to be a better chance to win given the fact that you've got a really good kicker right. inside of 50 uh you know inside of 45 even than uh than what's going on with uh, throwing it up now the result was good but i feel like if that ball had gotten picked off everybody would be saying what in the world was gus Malzahn thinking much like you said you watch a close game and you go back and immediately deconstruct what didn't work uh but a lot of people don't talk necessarily as much and i always think this is interesting about what did work but probably shouldn't have worked or wasn't a good risk reward decision to have made
1: well it's the same with herbert throwing that ball you know the uh the the touchdown is through, kind of like oh, threw it up in the air. Oh, totally. Like, it was
6: it was an like, awful like, decision. That,
1: right, like that display of arm strength and and ability to throw the ball to a point was fabulous. I mean, that's what coaches and, and NFL personnel love about him. But a terrible decision, especially yeah. that was that was like, that was our on the depth chart. He's listed as our fourth tight end, who's playing like wide receiver in the game yeah. because they just didn't have anyone open. They didn't have anyone to play. Um, and, and so it was a bad, it was a terrible decision, but it, it ended up working out right. Um, and you know, that's part of, look, that's why I think I do well when I break down football and I don't just focus on the results. I focus on kind of the process of how, yeah. how we get there and I look at an entire game as a whole, because when, when you're watching film as a player or as a scout or just someone you know that has access to that, you're watching the whole game. That's why you watch an entire game. If you listen to anyone... Who is a high-level football player? They'll say we watch the entire game because you might see something in quarter one, quarter two, quarter three that happens in quarter—you know—that happens in quarter four. If you just watch highlights, you don't know how you get to that endpoint. So um, it's important to do that. But look, it's Twitter, social media—you know—no one's going to talk like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the game plan for Oregon was simple. Um, you know, they were trying to stay away from the pass rush and they couldn't throw it downfield. Um, and Auburn's game plan was simple too, which was. We're going to run the football. We're going to take very few opportunities in the pass game. If we do, we hope we hit them, and we'll see which which team wears down. And eventually, it was Oregon. All
3: right. So you guys, Auburn gets the win. Uh, Oregon now, if they go twelve and one, they honestly now are in the unique position, which the Pac twelve has been in a lot, where they actually need Auburn to be outstanding, right? I mean, that if you're an Oregon yeah. fan right now listening to us, you want Auburn to run the table. You want them to be 13-0, and 12-1 SEC champs uh, because then you can argue, okay, that was a tough loss early in the season, neutral site, where every bit as good as they are, and it actually could end up helping some as opposed to hurting. If Auburn ends up 8-4 and four and they finish where they're kind of projected right now, fifth or sixth in the SEC, then I think it's hard for Oregon to get back into the playoff mix barring a lot of carnage. But speaking of carnage, did you watch any of the Tennessee game?
1: <laughs> I, I watched uh, a tiny bit of it at the end when I stopped people tweeting about it. Just more, just because of you, I just wanted to mock you afterwards. And just this just was wait, I was waiting for people to get off, you know, get after you on Twitter about the whole coaching search thing, and, and they did. Um, and just look, Oregon, Oregon's lost. I don't have ever lost a game like that. We've lost some bad games at home, but I mean that's that's they, Georgia State was two and ten last year.
3: Yeah, the best two and ten team in America, though. <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> like, you mean, like, uh, well, no. Look, you know, look. Here's the deal: is you know, the Pac-12 has had losses. In you know, right now we we lost to Hawaii. You know, we lost to Cincinnati on the road, and then obviously we lost to Auburn. And just you know, for me, you know, I just see all these people talking about you know how great the SEC is. And Look, Alabama is fantastic, Georgia's fantastic, but there's a lot of teams that aren't very good. I mean, that the that, the SEC yesterday lost to Georgia State, lost to Memphis. Lost to what at Wyoming? Who Missouri? Everyone thought they were going to win nine or ten games this year. Lost to Wyoming, and then someone else. I think mean, lost to oh, South lost to two-win North Carolina from last year. Like I just think though, I was kind of just from that angle. I was like, sweet, there's another some ammo so we can stop just you know blowing the SEC every time that that they win a, a game or two.
3: They will probably win the new AP po- coaches poll comes out probably still be six of the top 12 teams in america so all of the six best teams found a way to win <laughs> I know. uh which is uh which is still going to be uh which is still going to be pretty impressive you want to stick with us for one more segment we'll bring you back uh here for the second segment yes sounds good. we come back more with jeff shorts this is outkick the coverage the labor day edition on fox sports radio this is outkick the coverage with clay travis The Labor Day edition of Outkick the Coverage. Appreciate all of you, wherever you may be, hanging out with us. Hope you had a good holiday weekend. Hopefully it's continuing still. We are all here, me, Danny G., Roberto, and Jeff Schwartz, who usually joins us now on Wednesdays, but because of the big game between Oregon and Auburn, I wanted to go ahead and get him on today. So uh, we were talking about Tennessee's collapse and the fact that I was at the, uh, the Vanderbilt and Georgia game. And yeah, look, I mean, there, there's not a lot of ways to defend it. What I would say in general is, and you're going to appreciate this. One of the things that I've learned in college football is I like to go look at the the box scores because sometimes your eyes can deceive you. And the thing that I like to look at in box scores the most, especially when it comes to talking about the quality of a team, is rush yards for and rush yards against. Because ultimately, at the top echelon, I feel like, of college football, whoever runs the ball the best is probably going to win the game. They're going to be more physical. They're going to control the line of scrimmage, which gives their quarterback and their skill position players opportunities to make plays down the field. And whoever is able to stop the other team from rushing is probably going to end up winning, too. And what's frustrating, I think, if you're a Tennessee fan, is Georgia State actually controlled the lines of scrimmage on both sides. Like, we had Jim Dunaway on... Uh, earlier on the show 94.5 jocks down in Birmingham and he said you know when I was watching that game if you had put the Tennessee players in the opposing team's jerseys and them in Tennessee it's not like you could look at this game and be like oh there's a team that's more physically imposing than the other and that's not a good sign when it's Tennessee against Georgia State
1: definitely not I like I like yards per play in general I feel like that's a a good indicator here you know the problem with rushing a little bit it's not always the problem is that you know, they is quarterback sacks go into rushing, which is really foolish. There's nothing to do with rushing. I don't know why college football has you know it doesn't just do it like the NFL, where they have like a, a total passing and they have quarterback passing, so that goes in the total passing. So uh, no, I mean, look in college football because running the football is so prevalent. You know, rush yards is a good indicator of who has won the the last. Why is Tennessee like? I don't understand why they're not recruiting at the same level as other schools? They are. are,
3: I I think they're recruiting at that level. I think they're young. And uh, I I think, I mean, they played like 10 offensive linemen. They haven't been able to figure out who their five guys are. And so there wasn't a lot of...
1: Smith was out. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of consistency.
3: Uh, They got a... To one of the top left tackles and right tackles in the country, five-star caliber guys that are just now—I mean, coming straight out of high school—so they're kind of getting adjusted to the the play of of college football. And uh, I, I think they just got whipped up front. And I mean, I don't think there's any other way of putting it. Now, I'm curious. Uh, yeah, which is crazy to say when you're a 26-point favorite and you're playing Georgia State, and certainly it doesn't bode well for the rest of the season. But uh, Ole Miss. You had Purdue collapse down the stretch, 56-yard field goal get make it, uh, made by Nevada, and then they put their uh, their their kid on scholarship right after he made that field goal. You had uh, in, the, in the Pac-12 – let's go to the Pac-12 for a minute here – UCLA, their performance, and also USC's performance, this does not seem good for the city of Los Angeles for college football this year. First of all, I'd be stunned if Clay Helton is still the coach at USC next year. And for all the pomp and circumstance and all the excitement, I know you played with for Chip Kelly, but 3-10 through 13 games, at some point you got to start to turn the corner, and it doesn't appear that UCLA has at all yet.
1: Well, I'm trying to tell everyone that would listening about UCLA this year. UCLA still has, I looked up on their roster, they have 27 total upper, upper classes in mean junior season on their entire roster. Yeah, That includes walk-on, so that's about 100 guys. And so they're a very young squad, and then two of their best players on offense that are both seniors. Joshua, to me, Theo Howard's a the junior, but Joshua Kelly, the running back, and Theo Howard did not play at Cincinnati, um, and they're just trying to rebuild that roster. The problem is the recruiting just hasn't been very good. You know, Chip has not been a fan of just the, the recruiting effort, right? He's never, that he, never. Really, he's never really he didn't do that, do that, do that Oregon. At
3: Oregon very aggressively, no,
1: either. And you know, he, they they just had Mariota, and I think you saw when Mariota left that had a lot of problems they had on their roster because they didn't have a lot of pro- they had a lot of guys. GoPro, but they didn't have a lot of guys who have actually succeeded very well in the professional ranks versus, like, when I was at Oregon, we weren't as good, per se, with our record. We had a lot of guys playing the NFL for many, many years. Um, and if you look at UCLA, now, they don't have any NFL bodies, and their quarterback is not any good. Yeah, I try to tell as many people, as I could tell this offseason, my patch radio show on Twitter, guys, UCLA is maybe a six-win team this year. They play. They have... At Cincinnati, is the favorite to an the AAC? They play San Diego State this weekend. San Diego State, by the way, won a game 6 0 this weekend against someone. I can't imagine they how boring that out. was. And, yeah. then, and then Oklahoma comes to town, and they have five conference road games. So they're not going to be good this year. Next year, though, will be the year to look at them. now, USC, look, obviously, J.T. Daniels getting hurt doesn't help. I'm, I was on the same boat with USC. I can tell you, what, I, don't, I don't like this offense, I don't think it fits them. And for those who don't know, USC now, after playing Fresno at home, who had a, you know, a brand-new true freshman quarterback, had the ball in the red zone to tie the game with two minutes left because USC had some bad decisions on fourth down. They now play Stanford at home, and they go to BYU, and that'll be tough. And they play Utah at Washington at Notre Dame this, the first six games. So you're looking at three and three at the most, maybe two and four. And by then, um, I'm sure Lynn Swan will be calling Urban Meyer's agent and trying to figure out. Uh, how that's going to work.
3: By the way, what did you think of Hugh Freeze coaching from the hospital bed?
1: <laughs> Dude, this should not be commended. This <laughs> is, like, that's serial killer behavior. Like, I get, I, 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 and here's the thing, and so it's interesting because this is a good, it's, it's just a good snapshot of why football people love football so much. Because for a lot of coaches, and this is why I do not want to coach, is because it becomes literally your existence. Like his existence yesterday was, I'm in a hospital bed. I need to coach my team that badly, and they lost 27 like, nothing. Like, like, like that. He had to do that wall in a hospital bed where most of us would be like, Yeah, I'm going to just miss my job tomorrow because I'm in the hospital. I don't know what's wrong with him, but like, like for whatever reason, I'm not going to work tomorrow. So, I think that that just shows you what level of commitment the coaches have to their craft. But again, it should not be commended. There's nothing commendable about it. And then, and then, and then my favorite part was when him and, and Dino Babers, yeah. pointed each other,
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, it was pretty like, amazing.
1: Oh. And like, then they, somebody put it into,
3: oh. I will remember you. Like, did you see that, that clip where, no,
1: like, no, but I know there's always the Titanic. So, okay. So how does that work like this? The game was at Liberty? Yes. Or at, Syracuse. at Liberty. Okay. So, so do they like call ahead and be like, "Yo, like we need room in the press box for a hospital bed and like?" They I order mean, the bed. S- like, how's it-
3: yeah, I, it's it's a fascinating question. I mean, I'm sure they have elevators. Like I was trying to think about the logistics of it too, um, and I'm assuming that is like a uh, a, a donor suite. Would be my guess in that the donor suite got taken over by Hugh Freeze to coach from oh, I think he was in the coaching box. It looked like he was in the coach's box. Well, but there was, you could see that there like there was, it looked like it was glass all the way up, wasn't it?
1: oh it might have been yeah you, yeah you might have been right there if it's glass all the way up it's not the coaching suite
3: yeah I, I um, thought Danny G look, pull that picture up while we're talking right here because I can't remember <laughs> I mean it was such a ridiculous uh, ridiculous get up but I thought for some reason that it was like glass from floor to uh, from floor to ceiling but it might just be the way I'm picturing it in my head um, they
1: also wouldn't they also wouldn't have they also wouldn't have the communication set up in there either though like they have to rewire the donor box to get the communication set up oh I mean it's a
3: major um, undertaking yeah. I mean like there's no other way to describe it
1: what what what, what ailment does coach have
3: I, I think it was really serious um and uh i don't know exactly i mean it was something to do with a uh an infection that i mean could have killed him oh and my, that it, oh if my. it hadn't that's been just, treated it would have it could have potentially killed him
1: that's just it's it's should, that that's should that i that never thought been, i mean i said earlier in the show guy, the, the, yeah.
3: I never thought that we would have like you remember when Derek Dooley had like had broken his hip and he had to coach from a stool? Which back in the day at Tennessee, like they had a stool for him to sit oh, yeah. on on the sideline with the walking stick. And uh and I mean that in and of its or cane walking cane and that in and of itself just looks so ridiculous, like for him to have to call the game while sitting on like a three legged stool uh on the sideline. And uh
1: Matt Patricia <laughs> And the preseason has been called like been standing behind the water coolers because he has tore his Achilles and he can't walk.
3: Yeah, I've seen that year, too. Man. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's so
5: funny. Well, I don't know if it was oh supposed to be a coaching box or not, but all the articles I've looked up in the past couple of minutes call it coaching box.
3: Yeah, right. I mean, he's clearly coaching from the coaching box, but I'm yeah. saying for the picture itself. Am I crazy or was it like a glass?
5: It does look strange. But then again, do we know much about that stadium where Liberty plays?
3: No, but usually there would be – the reason why I say it's like a coach's box, usually there's a desk yeah. right up against the plate glass. So the coaches yeah. – I mean, you can look out and you're sitting there. But for some reason, the way that I'm picturing it – is this one was, you know, like more of a – anyway, it was a ridiculous setup. <laughs>
1: Whatever. Uh, and,
3: uh, <laughs> and we'll see how Hugh Freeze does going forward. I wanted to get healthy, and I actually texted him uh, on Saturday, and I was like, hey, good luck, uh, you know, and he said, hey, I'm coaching from a, you know, bed, hospital bed. And it was like, have you ever heard of that before? I was like, No. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's a uh, that's a crazy story in and of itself. Uh, all right. Uh, so, do you think um, who would you rather buy stock in right now, SC or UCLA? Final question for you.
1: Uh, USC because they're either going to get they're either going to get um, Urban Meyer and, and look. I listened to your, your wins and losses with Jeff Fisher. It sounds like he wants that job too.
3: Oh, he'd love um, to have it. I think
1: and and I think that that would be a, just a, from a CEO perspective of just kind of restarting your program because college head coach doesn't have to be an X and O's guy. If he's good at recruiting, that works. Um, I think that those two hires would be far better than what they have now, and that should be a positive for USC.
3: Yeah, it's interesting to think about how uh, that will be shaken down. Jeff Shorts, appreciate it. Go follow him on Twitter. Appreciate all of you. You just mentioned the wins and losses podcast, by the way. This week's guest is Colin Cowherd. So if you're listening to this right now in the morning, maybe you got to drive, you went out of town for the holiday weekend last trip before uh, officially summer is almost over. Why not go ahead and listen to that? Colin Cowherd uh, on wins and losses this week. A lot of great ones. I'll probably get Jeff Shorts on there at some point when I get desperate. Uh, This is Outkick. Appreciate you, Jeff. Have a good rest of your Labor Day. Appreciate (laughs) you joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.
1: All right. Take care.
3: That's Jeff Schwartz. I'm Clay Travis. Let me go ahead and bring in Ryan Finley, find out what's shaking with him. And Ryan Finley's got you updated right now. What's going on, Clay? And yeah, let's get right to college football.
2: Brian Finley, back to you,
3: Clay Travis. My bad. Evidently, uh, because Eddie Garcia is out. It's actually Brian Finley, and I said Ryan Finley, so I'm an idiot. Yes. But I do want to thank... By the way, Roberto is also here working with us with uh, Danny G and myself. Appreciate him spending the hits here on Labor Day being with us because Dub is out and because certainly, of course, Eddie Garcia is out. I mean, the guy, since he stormed the beaches of Normandy, he doesn't feel like he has to show (laughs) up on Labor Day anymore. You know, tomorrow I'm actually headed up to New York City. So I'm going to do the uh, show Tuesday and Wednesday uh, from Manhattan. Not that it will change very much in your lives, but uh, I will be up there and then... uh, I'm also later in the day going to be on Lock It In, and guess who won the week? Guess who gets to wear the crown, Danny G.
5: Unfortunately for your co-host, that's you.
3: That is me. That's going to be big. A lot of lot of disappointment in uh, Rachel Bonetta, cousin Sal, and Todd Furman. Great gambling weekend. Lots of good wins uh, and uh, big, you know, seventy percent winning rate. And so uh, I won the uh, won the week. So we got brand new crown. So if you're uh, sitting around at home, have some time to fill, we'll be on 4:30 Eastern, 3:30 Central, 2:30 Mountain, one thirty Pacific. All right, we'll be right back with final segment. This is Outkick on Fox Sports Radio.
4: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Oh, oh, oh.